Well, he was a good lad, wasn't he, Rick? Really, really interesting talking to Daniel Winter Bates about all his uh, things Absolutely. off stage. I, I, tell you, I wonder how many people that are at a gig, how many of those thousand people realise that he then puts on a suit and works the NHS during the week? What, <laughs> what a guy! I know, incredible. And do you know what? I've, I mean, I can remember being at Download Festival in the mosh pit, you know, with, uh, I don't know, probably about 60,000, 70,000 people there. It was massive. And, you know, he's on stage. And I didn't know at that point that he was doing that. So to have that insight with him and have that conversation with him and feel his passion, genuine, genuine passion for it. And the fact that he's using that platform now to uh, make people aware of mental health and push yeah. a really good message. And, you know... I think, I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It is. Well, listen, there's no time to rest because you are the busiest barber in the world. And uh, we go straight from him uh, to somebody else. Now, I have to confess that this guy's a bit of a mystery. We've never seen his face uh, because ah. he is the secret drug addict. So what can you do with a faceless man with a load of hair who wants to talk about mental health issues? Oh, well, I'm sure we can work out something. If you follow his uh, follow his Twitter account, he's been uh, recognised by Vice magazine as the most helpful anonymous Twitter account. So he puts out a lot of great information, stuff about addiction, stuff. He's very inclusive. It's a fantastic, fantastic Twitter account. So if you don't follow him already, take a look at him and seek the drug, drug addict. Um, and by his picture on there he's always wearing a balaclava so i'm not sure how we're going to cut around that perhaps we have to cut mm. the top of the balaclava off first and maybe cut around that i don't know but um, i'm looking forward to talking to him and um, and i think he's an arsenal fan as well so perhaps we can have a <laughs> conversation about how arsenal impacts mental health this oh, well. season well i get the impression he likes to talk so hang on here he is. here he's a balaclava clad man hello mate do you want to come over and take a seat ready for your haircut nice one cheers so what we're we gonna do to your hair today then um, you know, I've been reading. I've been reading that mullets are coming back, so uh, <laughs> might me have a little cheeky mullet. Yeah, definitely. What about like a Pat Sharp style? That's maybe a bit bold. Maybe something a little bit more subtle than that. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll go for something a bit more subtle. Right, I'll crack on with that. So, how have you been, mate? You've been all right. Yeah, not too bad. I mean, I think I've, um, I think I've got a bit of lockdown, lock, uh, lockdown fatigue. Yeah. Like, I'd imagine the entire world has, apart from <laughs> New Zealand, who seem to be doing okay. Um, yeah, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's weird. It's, I, I've been speaking to quite a few people about it recently, and it's like, normally when, you know, stuff's going on, people are in all different sort of, area, you know, different things are going on in their lives. Some people are doing better than others. And when you're all doing kind of bad, it feels weird ringing somebody up and saying, I'm not feeling great. Because it's kind of like, I know you're not feeling great too. Do, do you know what I mean? It just feels a bit like uh, indulgent, a bit intrusive. But, you know, it is what it is, I suppose. Yeah, it's one of those things, it's a big shared experience, is it? Isn't it? As the, the, the entire nation has had this, uh, the first probably shared experience since the war. So it is, it, I do think there's some positives to shared experiences because we can all relate, not that we can understand. Yeah. We can all relate. So I think there is some positives to it, but it is, it is a weird place, especially in lockdown part three. So mm. it, it is a little bit weird. But, I mean, you yourself, you're known as the secret drug, drug addict on Twitter. And you've actually been, you've been called Twitter's most helpful anonymous account. And that was by Vice, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, it's a bold claim. Um, <laughs> not one I'd use myself, but one my ego will definitely attach to. You know, I, uh, it was nice. It was nice to be kind of recognised for the kind of hours I sort of put into 
trying to put you know positivity out into the, the sort of Twitterverse, and you know, as we know, Twitter can be an incredibly kind of toxic um, place. <laughs> yeah. So you know, trying to do something kind of positive, and and you know, it, it feels good. I enjoy it, you know. But it is the more I've been doing it. It's been about three years now. The the bigger it's got. You know, the more followers obviously you pick up and the more kind of engagement you get, the more messages you get in DMs and, you know, all the stuff I'd sort of do with Neville and that. So it ends up being, it's, it's ended up sort of made nearly a part-time job. It's about 20 hours a week. Yeah. You know, wow. 15 to 20 hours a week put in. And obviously it's all unpaid. It's all just, you know, stuff I kind of do. And, um, yeah, so it does it, it does take its toll. So it's nice when I kind of get these occasional kind of uh, positive, you know, responses and affirmations. Do you know what I mean? Well, do you know what? You do a really, really bloody good job at it. And I think it's fantastic that you're a good voice out there. And I've known you for a little while now. And I think, like you said, Twitter can be quite a volatile, spiteful place. And I think the anonymity of it is something that people have people have argued against and I, i've spoken to people in this very chair about this same thing people will say like I, I prefer facebook or instagram because you have to be out there obviously you could catfish and pretend to be someone else but generally mm. you have to put a face to it whereas twitter you don't have to um but i think you're a perfect example of using that for yeah. positive reasons yeah 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 well, they, I, I mean i get tagged into a lot of um conversations where that's where that's happened people will kind of reference me and the uh, the secret barrister yeah. who i mean he's you know he's got half a million followers or something so he's not i'm not even in the same sort of uh, uh twitter twitter universe as, as whoever that guy is but um but no i mean i think there's benefits and i think there's i don't think there's negatives to being anonymous as such i mean they i, I think that the um the platforms maybe have to do a better job of policing the content but, I mean, for example, a lot of people that say this stuff, I don't think they've really thought it through. They've just thought it through on a kind of basic level. If everyone had their real name or had to, you know, prove who they were, then nothing bad would ever happen. Yeah. What about if you're um, LGBT in a country where it's illegal to be gay? Mm. You know, are you then going to sort of, you know, talk about issues in your country, you know, relating to, you know, gay rights? Probably not, because there's a good chance you could end up, you know, you know going to prison. Do you know what I mean? You know, there's, there's lots of times where, these, you know, platforms have been hacked and information has been leaked and, and stuff, you know. Um, so there's lots of stuff like that. I mean, specifically with what I do, I'm not, you know, people kind of go, oh, you're, I, I get why you're secret. It's, it's because of the, the stigma of addiction. And, and it's kind of like, well, no, I'm, you know, I'm coming up to, you know, 14 years uh, uh, abstinent. So there's absolutely no stigma for me, I don't think. You know, generally people kind of, they assume that I'm cured, that, that I will never drink or use drugs again, that, you know, I've absolutely changed my life. And then obviously, you know, to, to the best part of it, I have. You know, if you're a year clean or, you know, you're six months sober, there's still stigma. If you're two years, maybe, you know, early doors. But for me, it's not its not so much about the stigma. It's just about the, um, the freedom to kind of have discussions and talk about stuff and control my own kind of anonymity, you know, everybody that I know, I mean, we know each other, you know, everybody I know who knows who I am knows I don't drink and knows why. And if I'm in a pub and someone offers me a drink, I say, I don't drink. They say, oh, why are you driving? I say, no, I don't have a drunk for 13 years. You know, why? And I sort of say, oh, because I, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I've got, I'm an addict. I've got issues. Um, so it's not, 
you know, so it's not so it's not that I'm embarrassed or, or the stigma. It's just it, it's just more about sort of controlling what information I allow to kind of be put into the into the universe, I suppose. You know, yeah. but I think um, yeah, I don't. I think that you know, not allowing certain accounts is um, because they're not named. I think is is kind of uh, ridiculous, really, and and that won't solve the problem. No, no, we're talking. People are still people, aren't they? And people have. Exactly, and now some people are very vocal about these things. Well, most most of the most of the horrific stuff I read is from accounts with with people's faces and names on it. You know, if I'm being honest, you know what I mean? It's yeah, you know, so it doesn't seem to work for them. (laughs) No, no, of course it doesn't. Does it? But we delved into a little bit about your history there. But what made you actually start the Twitter? What made you start Secret Drug Addict? What made you start that? Um, I just. I just kind of, I, I jumped on Twitter. I initially kind of jumped on Twitter when um, Charlie Sheen was going mental, like, uh, was it 10, 11 years ago? He was talking about drinking tiger's blood. And, and I just thought, this is like, this is amazing. You can sort of connect with, um, with, with like people. famous people, you know, like, you know, and actually like communicate directly to, to them. And, and he was putting some, you know, he was putting some mad stuff on it that I thought was really funny. So I sort of jumped on it there, but didn't really understand what I was supposed to be doing on there other than, you know, liking Charlie Sheen's mad comments. <laughs> and um, I'm quite a private person anyway. I mean, I'm, I'm open, but I'm not really one for sort of, um, you know, writing journals and, uh, you, you know, and kind of, you know, exposing how I, how I feel inside to anyone. It's So Twitter didn't really seem to work for me. And then I kind of start, you know, just started tweeting bits and pieces about addiction and and it just kind of took off yeah so i sort of changed the name of the account and um and it's just grown. i mean you know in you know this, this particular case you know I, I i set up three years ago you know and um and you know i've picked up i pick up about a thousand followers a month 800 followers a month and um yeah it seems it seems to resonate with people it's it so yeah and it's great. I mean, it's the, the things that you're doing on now. I mean, I, I know what you tweet about and I've seen it and I've followed you. And obviously I, I know you as a mate now and um, had some fantastic, fantastic conversations on the phone. I don't think we've had a phone call under an hour ever. Um, you know, <laughs> I you know, can talk. Yeah, but we both can. I mean, it's great. I, think it, I mean, just explain a little bit about, about the kind of tweets that you put out there. Because they're not just, it's not just like, here's loads of statistics, here's this, here's that. There's There's some great... There's some great quotes in there. There's some really good like um, links in with other people as well. Yeah, I mean, I try to, you know, if I'm sort of tweeting quotes or thoughts about addiction, I, I try not to, or about mental health stuff, whatever. I try not to, um, I try not to be sort of go with this kind of generic stuff because that stuff never resonated with me. It, 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 I, I find it quite condescending. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that it doesn't, you know, I, li- I like stuff that's a bit more human. Yeah. You know, so when people sort of talk to you, you know, you know about about stopping doing drugs, it's like you know, or I'm, you know, I don't know if I'm an addict. I'm like, you know, stop, stop doing drugs. See how bad you feel. If yeah. you know, that's how you know if you're addicted or not. Do, do you know what I mean? It's like you know, you you stop doing drugs and you're gonna feel dreadful. It's gonna be like it's gonna be horrible. <laughs> but you know, once you come out the other side of that, life gets better yeah. and it improves. So rather, you know, rather than kind of going stop doing drugs and your life, your life's wonderful. It's amazing. It's like it's not. It gets difficult. You have to learn to manage emotions and feelings, and 
you know, uh, uh, your, your actions, you know, you're, you're basically like a toddler, you know, and you kind of have to learn to kind of navigate the, uh, the world, to, yeah. you know, so, and it is, it is tricky, but, you know, if you can manage to, to, to do that, the longer you do it, the more, the more time you have abstinent, the, the, the easier it gets and the better life gets and the more good stuff comes back into your life. And, Duh, 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 duh. So, yeah, so I tend to kind of try and do stuff that's kind of more steeps in kind of humanity rather than um, rather than just, you know, generic, airy-fairy kind of stuff, yeah. you know. And then obviously the the more I've kind of got into it, the the more I've kind of started, I suppose, you know, that I, I'm followed by lots of uh, sex workers. I, I get inboxes from lots of sex workers because of my relationship with Neville and, and you know, his relationship with uh, support and sex workers. So, you know, I've learned lots from them and, you know, lots of, not specific, you know, it's not specific to that industry, but, you know, just because of my connect, you know, how I've connected mm. within that industry, I'm getting, you know, people with addiction and mental health issues, sex, but, you know, inbox me and, you, you know, you learn a lot about, you know, the, the stigma around sex work. Or the you know the the laws and you know how you know how entrenched they are in sort of you know patriarchal stuff you know all that stuff. So I tweet, you know, I tweet a lot of stuff around that. Um, you know, a lot of kind of social stuff because I I, I believe that mental health and addiction is entrenched in um in, in sort of not not entrenched in socialism, but it's like you know this this narrative that you know it's it's okay to not be okay. And I, I get what that means. I understand what you mean when, you know, when you say that to me. But you know what? It's, it's not okay that I'm not okay. That's, that's, that's not okay. It's not okay that I, I, I live in a, in a house with, you know, with unaffordable rent, that I have a job where I have to, I have to receive in-work benefits, where I have a job, you know, uh, 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 um, you know without a contract, where I don't have sick pay, yeah. holiday pay. Yeah. You know, these things are not okay. It's, yeah. you know, and, and, and I think, you know, this is the stuff where, you know, every kind of you know, mental health, health awareness day, mental health awareness week, we, everybody tweets, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And, you know, all these other kind of positive affirmations around talking about your mental health. But we're not talking about what causes yeah. mental health. And, and you know what? If you're, if you, you know, I, I don't think that people really, I don't think a lot of people really understand the, um, you know, the consequences of of poverty on on mental health. Do, do you know what I mean? And the trauma that uh, that poverty kind of, yeah. you, you know, um, causes, basically. Do, do you know what I mean? So it's like we talk about, oh, you know, it's okay to not be okay, this, that, and the other, whilst drug services are cut, whilst mental health services are cut, whilst there's huge waiting lists for. CAMS and children, children's mental yeah. health group, um, all this stuff while they're in classes of, you know, the, uh, there's, you know, 30, 35 to a class in school, you know, and kids are getting lost amongst that, that, that group and all that stuff, no youth clubs, no, no, no peer mentoring stuff, you yeah. know, and that's, that's where it begins. You know, you want to, you, you want to know where kind of adults mental health, you know, begins, it begins there. Yeah. You I know, totally and, agree. and so, yeah, so I kind of, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I tweet or talk about will also kind of be based around that stuff, I suppose, yeah. for want of a better kind of uh, expression. I mean, I'm not some crazy kind of uh, communist or or, <laughs> or social. I mean, I suppose yeah. I am a socialist. I don't know. I, I don't really sort of like labels, but you know, for me, that's where it begins. Do, do you know what I mean? It begins with children's stuff. 
Yeah, I totally, I think, you know, for you, you talk about it's okay to not be okay. And I think it is okay not to be okay and not feel good some days. But at the same time, like you said, actually, we need to start. How do you deal with it? Let's deal with it. Yeah. How do we, how, how, yeah. What do we do? How can we, know. how can I keep myself mentally fit? How can I, how can I, how can we prevent those things? How yeah. can we, because it, it can become, I do think sometimes, you know, that phrase can become an excuse to go, oh, well, then it's okay to be, and people settle with that feeling. And actually, look, exactly. it's not okay not to be okay. We need to like this, this, how can we help each other? How can we build peer support communities, things in society and that to make that really work and, and make things Well, yeah, so, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, I, you know, you tell me you're not feeling, I go, you know, it's, it's okay to not be okay, Tom. Yeah. And that's it, that's it. That's a full stop. And I go and put the kettle on and just get on with my day. You know, <laughs> yeah. the next thing is that, what can I do to help? What can we yeah. do to help? How do we make that better? Yeah. And that's yeah. the kind of bit that seems to be getting lost. But it seems to be, I think, a lot of people that, especially on social media, that um, that tweet that kind of stuff, seems to be people that are, I would assume are probably doing okay. <laughs> you yeah. know, they're, they're sort of, they're talking about subjects. They don't necessarily have any professional or lived experience yeah. with you, you know, so I, you know, I, I appreciate the uh, the support. I appreciate the sentiment, but it just, you know, I, I, these these are things that need to be solved, yeah. not just like you say accepted, which yeah. is where we seem to kind of be with it. Yeah, I think we're telling people to talk, um, but we don't know how. We're telling people to open up and talk. We don't know how to listen. We don't know how to react, and we don't know how to take care of it. With physical health, we know if I eat well, if I go to the gym or exercise in some shape mm. or form, I'm going to be physically healthier. If I yeah. you know, if I don't, then I'm not, you know. And and yeah. with mental health, we need the same sort of education around that. And um, I mean, you said you touched on it a minute ago, talking about uh, mental health and like coming off drugs, everything's going to be okay. But actually, you know, it's not. It's difficult to get off them. It's difficult to get through that. There's there's um, stigmas around it. I mean, there's a guy just started following me on Twitter who's called uh, Cocaine Addict Six, I think he's called, and he's just started his journey and he he's he's only a few days into it but he decided to use twitter as a kind of journal support group to get mm. his name out there and a public sort of um i suppose make him give himself a sense of responsibility about it do you know what i mean he's, he's now got people that are looking to him to see how yeah. he's getting on he's a he become, is, you, you become know. accountable i suppose to, to, a, yeah, you know, to a degree even, yeah. even though it's even though it's anonymous or there is a level of, of accountability to it but um yeah. but you know i mean I, i've you know i've connected with people on via twitter um, that I, I'm kind of friends with now. Do you know what I mean? Quite, quite a few. There's a, you know, there's a couple, couple of guys that um, one of them I kind of knew before. He's in a, you know, he's in a band. We kind of knew him before. And me, him, and another musician. Are, uh, you know, we set up a, um, a WhatsApp group. I mean, admittedly, it's just for us to kind of criticise everybody that we dislike. <laughs> but occasionally, it kind of spins round to you know, to us, you know, how you doing, what's going on, you know, yeah. you know. I've, I've seen, I've seen you've, been, you, you've, you've looked like you're a bit manic on Twitter recently. Everything okay? You yeah. know, and it's um, and it, and it, and it's nice. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's um, it's good to kind of, for me, I'm quite, I'm quite a um, isolated person. Yeah. You know, so having you know have been able to kind of dip in and out of Twitter and pick and choose kind of different friendships or or, or different kind of relationships. You know, some people I'm real friends with, some people I'm not. Blah blah yeah. blah. I have found uh, quite helpful, especially over the last year which has been, you know, tough. Yeah. 
Well, it's been great. We're very lucky. You know, lucky it's not 1999 and we're all playing Snake on our 3210s through lockdown. Yeah. Because it would be, it'd be a mean, very long lockdown, wouldn't it? We're very lucky in that sense. But yeah, no, no, completely. I mean, without internet, without, you know, Netflix, without, you know, all the kind of extra yeah, Tiger streaming King, channels. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It has been, it has been absolutely kind of beneficial. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think actually you talked about having a mullet. I think it's Joe Exotic that brought it back, wasn't it, at the beginning of the lockdown? Um, <laughs> I think, him, I think got... Miley Cyrus has got one now. I saw actually, the other day. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, smiley, yeah, smiley, miley. Well, we got. I think <laughs> you just talked there, touched on the music industry. You, this is this is your past, isn't it? You're, you've you worked in the music industry. You worked with some bands that I, I think probably anyone that's listening into this uh, conversation would have heard of. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and like how the addiction and how that that sort of came about? Yeah, well, you know what I mean. I think a lot of people kind of. Um, yeah, especially like, when I talked to a lot. Of, I think I did it for myself. When you when you find when you stop doing drugs you're kind of like why why am i an addict where did it come from is it nature is it nurture is it this is it that and i you know and the, the reality is is that you're never going to get a definitive answer so i i wouldn't even really sort of uh, bother wasting time searching trying to search for the answer because you're you, you're going to you're going to stop on the answer that you want yeah do you know what i mean so if your if your parents had you know if your parents had substance issues then you know it's probably your guard's probably because of that. If they didn't, then it's going to be some. You know what I mean? It's going to it's going to be nurture or nature. You know, whatever it is, you'll you'll find the answer you want. I um, I've always had issues around sort of obsession and compulsion. You know, in you know behaviours from a child, and I ended up in a women's refuge um, in Wales when I was like must have been twelve. And I was always kind of, in, I got into music quite young. I was kind of interested in music from about the age of seven or eight. So at seven or eight, I kind of discovered uh, Sisters of Mercy and the Jesus and Mary chain. I didn't really understand what they, you know, but by, by the same token, I'm listening to like uh, the theme song from uh, Dirty Dancing. Right? They all came out in 97. That was like one of my other favourite <laughs> records. So it wasn't even like, oh, I'm into like cool, I, I'm into cool guitar music. I just kind of liked what I liked. I didn't really understand what it was or, but I just kind of, you know, the, 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 the bands resonated with me. And so I started collecting records and, you know, buying seven inches. And then around the age of 12, just from, just from mum left to, to go to the refuge. Cause she went first, she just disappeared one day and then kind of the school, told me if after about three months, oh, your mum's been in contact. So I didn't know where my mum was. They were, your mum's been in contact. And she, they rang her or she rang the school at a certain time. I was in the pastor's office and I ended up going, you know, going to meet her. <clears throat> but um, so around the age of 12, I was hanging out with a load of older guys who were like six formers and stuff. So they were sort of 16, 17 and drinking and going to pubs and clubs with them. So I kind of started, I'd already had a taste of, of kind of the music scene you know watching bands and stuff and then after i came out of the refuge i just started going to a, this club so it was about maybe a 13 14 and um the guy that ran it managed bands and just went oh you know and just kind of offered me a job and and i just kind of you know it wasn't it wasn't a, yeah it wasn't a, it was really it really was it was that simple yeah. um you know, and, and then from that, I just kind of fell into from one job to another and kept getting offered jobs uh, all through my sort of teens and into into my early 20s. So, I mean, the bands I've worked with, you know, I worked with a band called Swerve Driver, who was signed to Creation Records. Um, I worked with a band called Reef. Um, from, from, the, from working with Reef, I ended up 
get to know the people at Sony and ended up working with um, Muff Winwood, who yeah. was in the Spencer Davis group and produced loads of loads of massive records like Dire Straits and you know it's a monster kind of music industry guy in the UK. Worked with Jamiroquai, Desiree, uh, Terence Trent Darby. Um, then ended up moving to Creation Records uh, in the mid '90s. So you know, was working with Oasis, kind of in their prime, Primal Scream, Teenage Fan Club. Um, God, I can't think. It's but a few other bands. Yeah. What was it? What was it like being it with Oasis? What was that like? What was that? Um, it just felt normal. I mean, it didn't feel like anything special, really. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, the guy that ran, the guy that I, the first guy I met who gave me my first job in the club that he ran that we used to go to, it was, um, it was, you know, it was frequented by uh, basically by musicians and enemy journalists, and you know, like Kurt Cobain would come down if he was in London, you know, around that, you know, if, you know, the clubs on a Thursday night. So if he was in London, he, you know, he the club was in the West End. He just he just come to the club and he was there with, with Courtney and. You know, it was, I was just used to, you know, going to the toilet and the, you know, the bass player from Blur is at the urinal <laughs> next to me. And, the, you know, there's the guy from Ride, you know, is on the other side. It was just yeah. the music industry, because it was a lot smaller. Yeah. So the alternative scene was, you know, was very small. And then working with Oasis, you sensed it was a step up in terms of size in, you know, the, you, you know, you'd, you'd go out, you'd, you'd be in the pub having a drink with Liam, there'd be a few of you out and Liam would be there. And, you know, someone would come over and pester us and they'd sort of try and sit down at the table and kind of try and join in. And, you know, we would have to kind of ask them to leave. You know, it was weird. It was like, um, I didn't realise, it was only kind of after, you know, after a little while, I noticed that Liam, so whenever we was at the, we'd go to the bar and someone would say to them, we'd want to buy Liam a drink. So they could say, oh, I was in the pub the other night, I bought that Liam Gallagher a drink. And Liam yeah. would, would always refuse, always refuse. And um, I was sitting like, why? You know, he'd go, oh, no, it's like, let me buy you one. And I said to him, why, why do you never, like, why do you? He goes, because if, if, if they buy me a drink, they feel like they, they can then talk to me. <laughs> Which, you know, I don't, it does not, you know, it sounds bad. But, you know, if you're out with, if you're out with if friends, you're out with Liam a drink. You've got 50 people trying to buy you a drink or not. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah. Yourself, no, but, you know, you're... You're, you know, you're trying to have a quiet drink with a few pals and some yeah. guy just wants to talk to you for 40 minutes about yeah. the ba about what, I don't know, about an argument you had with your brother that you read about in the press or something. It's like, yeah. you know, and then a, a lot of the time you'd find they would, they would then become, they'd then be a dick. Do you know what I mean? So they could then say they, you know, they said something. They, they, they were smart ass to Liam Gallagher to their friends, or so it was. Um, so yes, yeah, so I noticed stuff like that which had never happened with bands before. That you know, we would get, we'd get kind of you know low level harassment. Yeah. So it. that was that was really it. Other than that, it was just it was just dead normal. I mean, you know, he, you know, he was he came out. You know, the group of us went out on my twenty first birthday, and you know, he ended up, you know, having a sleepover at my house. Just <laughs> you know, and, Liam Gallagher. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my grand, my granddad's knocked on the door the next morning with a birthday present for me, and you know, Liam's opened the door and he's come, he's you know, he's come up, he's come and woke me up and gone, "Oh, your your granddad's at the door with a birthday present for you," and <laughs> you know, it was yeah. just normal. Yeah, it just become normal. But I mean, I always think that the music industry, you know, is I mean, being in bands when I was younger, knowing people in bands, but every now, and, you know. There is a strain, I think, on the on the mental health. But in this, you know, this persona, especially when you get 
be well known. Does that, you know, like someone like Liam Gallagher saying they were struggling with their mental health as being the, the, the man that he is, the persona that he is as the front of races. But does that kind of thing like trickle down to the, the rest of the people working in the industry? Is it kind of like high pressure? Is there a lot of pressure on your mental health? Um, with, I mean, uh, the short answer is yes. The short answer is, is yes, there is. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a lot better now than it, it used to be. I think that, you know, during the 90s, during that whole kind of loaded magazine, you know, a lad <laughs> yeah, culture right, stuff, yeah. you know, it's, we are, we're doing lots of cocaine and we're, we're, you know, we're sleeping with as many women as possible and, you know, fighting as much as possible. And it was, you know, it was all good fun. And, you know, you kind of look back now and realise that it was, uh, it was incredibly toxic, yeah. <laughs> you know, but during, you know, during amongst that, you're not going to, you're not going to be staying up for days doing drugs with people and kind of going, oh, do you know what, my feeling a bit vulnerable at the moment um <laughs> you, you, know, yeah. you know it's like yeah, i've got a lot going on my mum's not well and you know i'm struggling at work it just it, it would have been seen as a um as a sign of weakness yeah. you know i mean i'm sure there might have been some people that had those kind of relationships but you know nobody i knew and yeah. certainly not not myself but and i think i think the music's kind of changed as well i mean there's a lot of bands that these days that sort of, you know, are more vulnerable in, you know, in interviews or, you know, with the content of their music, they'll, they'll sort of mm. discuss this stuff. So that also encourages um, that, that, you know, that, 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 that kind of freedom, which I don't, I mean, I think, you know, I think Nirvana were probably a band that were in and around yeah. that stuff. Do, do you know what I mean? You know, you know, Kurt was, was great for calling out kind of, uh, you know, toxic masculinity, which is, you know, very, you know, it's, it's kind of a buzzword or a buzz expression, yeah. uh, uh, you know, over the last few years. But he was, you know, I didn't know anyone else that did that stuff. Did there. That, no. Didn't know anybody apart from apart from the, the the feminist bands, you know, which were just girls. Yeah. You know, so you'd expect it from them. But he was the only guy I knew that would, you know, that I've seen stop a concert because there were guys touching women inappropriately in the mosh pit. Yeah, right. Did you know what I mean? You know, and, and well so ahead it was of his kind time, of, really. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, obviously after he died, it then the whole kind of lad culture thing blew up and, and everybody got caught up in that. Mm. So, yeah, I don't think it was. I, th I think it's getting a little bit better, but I still don't think it's uh, within the music industry. I still don't think it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's that common. Do you know what I mean? I think when you've got jobs like that, and I think it's any industry that, you know, the music industry, the film industry, any industry where you're kind of doing your dream job, there's going to be pressure. You know, I mean, when I was, I remember when I was working at Creation. And again, you know, so we were working with some of the biggest bands in the world. And every day the receptionist would call through and it would normally just end up going to me. And they'd be like, oh, can you, there's somebody here, can you come and pick up? They're, you know, dropping their CV off. And I'm like, I'm picking up two, three, four CVs a day for people just cold calling for my job. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, you know, you, you don't want to just throw them in the bin because you think that's, you know, because that's kind of, you know, that's bad. <laughs> but by the same time, I don't want to be handing them to my boss. No, exactly. Do, do you know what I mean? And, you know, you're, you're, you know, I'm 17 at the time. It was, it, it, if, you know, and it was a lot of pressure. It felt yeah. like, you know, if I, you know, if I make a mistake, if I do something wrong, they're going to replace me. And I think yeah. that mental health, especially in and around addiction, um, self, you know, low self-esteem, low self-worth, is uh, is incredibly common, so you know if you if you've got low self esteem, 
you don't even, you know, you don't think you deserve the job anyway. They're going to, they're going to, you know, you've got imposter syndrome, all that kind of stuff. And there's people who want your job. They're, they're hanging around the door waiting for it. It's, um, it's, it's not, you know, it was, it's not enjoyable. No, no. And you're, and then you're adding drugs on top of that and you're having like the, the come downs and the hangovers and yeah, of the, course. the anxiety around that. And then getting into uh, work late, making mistakes because you're not, you're not, you're not on, you're not on top of things. I mean, it's just, it's just a self-perpetuating kind of a uh, uh, fuck up basically. <laughs> yeah, but it kind, of feels like, it kind of almost feels like that's what you should be. I mean, I can remember when I was in bands and it was this whole thing of like, you know, I looked up to like the bands like Motley Crue and all they're reading the dirt and thinking, well, they're that's amazing what they're doing. And actually, the reality of it is, is not. And you, you know, it, it, it's, it's a kind of, but it's kind of like um, idolized and they're like heroes. And it's glamorized and it's you know put up there. And I think it's it's difficult because the music industry there's a lot of pressure. There's lots of we had the actual uh, lead singer from Barry Tomorrow coming out his haircut the other day and uh, he was telling us about stuff. But he's he's very open about his mental health and he's actually works with in the NHS. Okay. As well, and they've just had a top ten record this last year, and they, he was talking about the he's open about it, and this record he was talking about it more than ever. But in lyrics, oh, I think it's been there for a long time, hasn't it? I mean, I can think I listen to songs back now that I used to love twenty years ago, and there's things about suicide and mental health, and mm. but he, I didn't. I think there's still a long way to go because the barrier. It was they were saying it, but I was just hearing the music. Yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah, knew the yeah. words. I didn't hear the meaning behind it. I think that's a long way to go with mental health. Yeah. We need to, we're not taking it in properly and addressing it and moving forward. Well, if you're, not, if, you're, if you're not in that place to hear it, then it's like when you hear a song and suddenly it means something completely different to you yeah. because you're in that space. You kind of go, oh, that's what that song's about. I never, I never got that. Do you know what I mean? I kind of was, you know, I was, I was taking it literally or I was taking it figuratively, whatever it is. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, the stuff around me, Motley Crue, I love the dirt. It's a great yeah. book. Um, it's a great book, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I was drawn to all that. I mean, you don't, you don't, why would you, you know, the reason you kind of want to work, I mean, for me anyway, the reason you want to work in the music industry or be in a band is because you don't want, you don't want to do a nine to five. You want to stay up all night having sex with anonymous women and doing drugs. I mean, that's, that's kind of fun initially, you know, and especially when you're reading, um, you know, you're reading the biographies of all these bands, like, you know, the Aerosmith biography or Led Zeppelin biography, the chaos, but, It's only as I've got older and I've seen people who in the early 90s, you know, were in quite big bands, you know, they're playing, you know, 2,000 capacity venues all over the UK and Europe and stuff, um, end up with nothing, end up dying of drugs overdoses or end up, you know, on the dole with nothing, you know, with mental health issues because, you know, no one reads those books. So, you know, for every kind of dirt, there's like 50 bands that, you know, had one and had a, had a strong debut record, went mental on drugs, yeah. fucked up their second album and got dropped. Yeah, yeah. Or got or, or, or got moved. You know, was doing you know, was working music industry. Like, I mean, I remember Paul Gallagher, uh, Liam and Noel's eldest brother, pulling me aside one day and going, you, "You know, you do know you're not in one of the bands that you work for the bands." You know, because I was, I, you know, I was behaving like I, I I didn't have any responsibilities that I could come and go as I please and you know do drugs like i wanted and you know if you're selling a hundred thousand albums you can uh you know you can do do whatever yeah you can do it and and i could you know when i was working i got that you know i was allowed to get away with it because i was productive but the moment i stopped being productive they went you know what you've can you go there's a you know there's a there's a there's a cardboard box can you go and pack your desk up yeah you got you got to get off and you know i walked out of i I remember sort of walking out of the my last label in my like maybe twenty two or something, I, I just you know with 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 this this box with some shit in it, 
not knowing what the fuck I was going to do. Just, you know, all I know is that I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm entrenched in addiction now. Yeah. I didn't know where to go with it. I didn't know what to do, you know, and, you know, and that was it, basically. You know, whilst you're working and making money for people. I mean, I think that's any kind of industry. I think it's the, you know, it's the same for, as I say, you know, the, the entertainment industry, acting, whatever. Yeah. As long as you're productive, they'll they'll turn a blind eye to it. Do, do you know what I mean? The moment that you're not, it's like you're you're replaceable. And I, I get that, but I do think that certain industries, you know, they 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 should have a duty of care, yeah. especially to young people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, and what it, with that sort of you said, duty of care, and that, what, what if there's like one thing we're coming up to finishing off your mullet? It's looking really nice. I just wanted to, just before we just before we finish up and put some products through, I wondered, yeah, what kind of thing as somebody who's been through addiction and yeah, you've been through the tough times, you've come out the other side to have a successful life, you know. Um, um relatively speaking, but I suppose it depends on your definition of success. Well, that you know, it, it, that's all relative, isn't it, to the person, yeah, the, exactly. the individual. But you know, I, I, you know, I earn less money now than I did when I was eighteen. That, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. a fact. Right? I'm, yeah. I'm in my forties now. I earn less money than I was eighteen. Yeah. I've got two, you know, I've got two wonderful kids. Yeah. They both seem to be kind of uh, uh, mentally stable. They're physically well. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I'm married. That sounds like my, success my, to me. That's, that, that, and that's exactly it. You know, I feel yeah. successful. Yeah, exactly. And what, what could you give, if you give a little bit of information or a bit of advice or a bit of something out to somebody, if there's someone struggling right now with addiction, they've gone through it, they're trying to get off it, they've gone through it and they're mental health struggling, what kind of one little bit of information could you give to somebody um, that would um, help them get through? Just that, you know, it, it does get better. I mean, that was the thing for me is I didn't know anybody that had stopped doing drugs. You know, everybody I knew kind of did drugs. The people that I thought, you know, were, were, were kind of, you know, didn't do drugs were just the people that, that drank and smoked dope. Yeah. That was like, oh, they don't do drugs. Just, you know, they just smoke weed every day. <laughs> you know, and so I didn't know anybody that, that had stopped or could stop or, you know, so I didn't think it was possible. I didn't, yeah. I thought the idea of abstinence was absolutely ridiculous. And then, you know, I, 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 I got into, I came into recovery and I met people that were eight months, 16 months, two years, you know, you know, all, you know, lots of people with lots of different amounts of, of, of abstinence. And I, and, and suddenly it was kind of, I kind of realized that, you know what, that you can stop doing drugs. There is possible. It's not easy. It's like the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, it's simple. You know, you just don't do drugs, you know, just wake up yeah. and don't it's do drugs. Than not, it's, it's easier than actually doing them, isn't it? Because yeah, you, yeah. you've got to go and try and find a drug dealer who are the worst business yeah, you've got to find ever, and you've got to go and do this. And and all and you've got that stuff, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's, you know, it's really simple. Just wake up, don't do drugs today. That's all you have to do. But it's, it's it, you know, it's not easy. It's mm. really not easy, do you know what I mean? But, you know, with time, it gets easier. I think it's like anything. If you go to the gym, you know, you come home from the gym after the first day and everything aches and you're sore and you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, I can't, I don't want to do that again. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in pain. But, you know, you go back and, you, you know, the same, you go back and you go back. The next thing you know, you're, you know, you're built like you. Do you know what I mean? And you're nice and like, nice and ripped. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, it's just, <laughs> it's just, a, it's just a case of, you know, incremental steps every day, just trying to do something positive and keep on, you know, and if you, if you relapse, you know, try not to, you know, try not to see that as a definitive failure. You know, recovery is rarely kind of a linear. Do you know what I mean? It, it sort of peaks and troughs. Yeah. But as long as you can, as long as you can have more good days and bad days and you, and you, and you, you keep the enthusiasm for wanting to be abstinent, then I think, you know, I don't know anyone that hasn't done it yeah. that, that really wanted it, wanted really to, put yeah. the effort in. And I mean, I make it, 
you know, it's, it's the most important thing for me. You know, it's if, you know, if the relationship I was in was, 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 was causing me to want to use drugs, then the relationship goes. Yeah. If the job I'm doing is, is, is affecting my mental health and, and causing me to want to use drugs, I change jobs. You know, if the friend, the friendship groups I've got, uh, uh, you know, uh, causing me to want to use drugs or making it more difficult to not use drugs, I don't hang out with those guys. Yeah, and and I don't. I mean, I'm still friends with them. We haven't seen them. Oh, what about your old friends? We haven't fallen out. We just don't hang out. Yeah, I see him. Um, you know, it was it was one of one of my pals at the, uh, his, his dad's funeral last week at a Zoom funeral. He died of COVID, unfortunately. And um, you know, I jumped on the Zoom and you know, we I rang him up and made a chat afterwards. Um, but we don't we don't see each other really, you know. Somebody, you know, yeah. most of these guys are still drinking and doing drugs and having fun, and that's <laughs> not conducive to kind of yeah. where I'm at in, in my life. So, yeah. as long as you make it the most important thing, you know, it's not, it's you know, it's it's not more important than my children. No. But if if but without it, I don't have my kids because she'll leave and take them. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? So thing, yeah. Yeah. So it, it comes before everything else, and because of that, because I have because I have my abstinence, I have everything else in my life. Yeah. yeah. And that's amazing. That's amazing words of wisdom there, you know, putting it first because, and like you said, they were cutting off the friends, cut, you're, a, you're a product of our environment. And do you know what? At the end of the day, these people, you know, as long as you, you're not cutting, you're not cutting them out of your life completely. You're just not hanging out with them in that sense. And I think that's a great mm. thing to do. And I think, you know, and, and it's about respecting and valuing yourself and, and valuing the things that you, you know, you want more, more than anything else. Like you said, yeah. you don't want to And honestly, family. I've got to be honest, you know what I mean? It's like honestly to myself, can I really be in these situations yeah. for too long? Do you know, so I go to the, you know, sometimes I've gone to the pub and I've walked in the pub and gone, oh, I'm not, I'm not feeling this tonight. And I've just yeah. like, I've, I've, I've gone around, said hello and I've gone, I'm just going to the toilet. And I've just fucking, I've just left. I've just <laughs> yeah, got off. Door boogie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some, yeah. Other times I might stay for a couple of drinks, you know, do, yeah. you know, have, have a couple of Cokes or a couple of non-alcoholic beers and yeah. then go, right, I'm getting off now. And, you know, yeah. it's about the honesty. Should, you know, is, is, am I, am I all right to stay here? If I'm not, yeah. if I'm not feeling it, if I'm feeling a bit like ropey, then, then it's time to go. Yeah. And it's that, it's that kind worry, of honesty to self. It's that worry you have inside of yourself. Oh, they're going to be upset if I go. Most of the time, they don't care. They've had too many beers. No there. one cares if no I'm there or not. No, no, exactly. They all think I'm, I'm boring anyway now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they don't care if I'm there. They're too busy chasing women half their age these days. I mean, it's tragic. You know <laughs> that what just I mean? sounds exhausting to me. Yeah, I've done it to your back's hurting. It's like trying to pretend you understand what, they're, you know, what, what, what they're music they're about, listening yeah. to or what, what TV shows they're watching. I've got no idea. No idea. It's, um, yeah, but, you know, I... I I mean, that's it. That's that kind of self-obsession about, oh, if I don't yeah. go, they'll think this. If I leave early, they'll think this. And and as I've as I, you know, as I've got more into recovery, I've, I've realised more that yeah, I'm not that important. Yeah, I'm well, generally not. Actually, they 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 don't even know. They went, oh, did you? What time did you leave last? Oh, you? I didn't yeah, even know you'd gone. So at, at that point, I lie and say I left later than I did. I was like, oh, I was, no, I was there <laughs> till like ten uh, thirty. I, I left at eight. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah I mean the only, the only thing I suppose now is the biggest thing in your mental health is how Arsenal are playing aren't they um, oh, yeah it's I mean I'm, I'm, I'm positive I'm positive I think Arteta's doing wonderful things we'll, yeah. we'll listen back to his podcast next year and go he was, he was bang on no yeah. I see I see I see great uh, great improvements all over the pitch I see yeah. some of the younger players that have been bought in the last 12 months looking looking brilliant yeah. it's um, they're just missing that final little piece up front that that kind of that that, that yeah. spark of creativity and once they once they get that and they get the goals again they'll be fine because yeah, defensively sound 
I think yeah. it's good. I think you look at look at United and what they've done, whole keeping loyal to Solskjaer, and it's coming, it's starting to pay off a little bit. I think that's the thing we need to do in all aspects of our lives, not give up and move on to the next thing too quickly. Keep going forward, like your like your uh, like your abstinence. Keep on going forward. Keep on going. You got to keep on moving with it. If you keep well, on yeah, I mean, up and getting t- distracted, then nothing ever comes off, does it? Yeah. Well, time. You know, that's the other thing is that you know, sort of, it seems to be a common mantra. I tell you, you know, time takes time. You know, I get a lot of inboxes going, oh, you know, well, you know, I, I've I've not drunk for for a week, two weeks, or, you know, when do I start to feel better? And I'm like, you know, you you didn't get into this situation overnight. No. You you ain't getting out, you know, you ain't going to get out of it overnight. It's going to take, it's a process and it's going to take time. You just have to keep moving forward, you know. But whereas people, I think this is especially with addiction, people want instant kind of, um, of results. Do you know what I mean? Which is how I got how I got into the, the problem in the first place. You know, I didn't feel good in the morning. Take some, do some drugs. I feel great now. <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, it, it kind of unravels. The longer you kind of live that lifestyle, the more it unravels, and the kind of less you you eat, and the less you look after yourself. And yeah. you know, but um, but yeah, it you know it it takes time, and that's, that's the same with your mental health. It's kind of you know, you you're not going to wake up one day and suddenly feel better. You know, it's 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 small incremental things like maybe trying to sleep better. You know, going to bed a bit earlier. Maybe you know, looking at your self care, what you, what your diet. You know, are you exercising? Because most people that kind of you know I speak to with, with mental health issues, you know, you kind of go, oh, how are you how are you sleeping? Like, I'm starting, don't go to bed till three in the morning. I go, all right, yeah. What you eat? Oh, it's just lots of pizza and you know cans of coke. I'm like, oh, okay. And then do you, do you, do you exercise? No, I don't. I, don't I don't exercise I'm gonna go well yeah. you know what? maybe look at that no I'm not sometimes I think people think that I'm um anti-medication or or whatever and uh, absolutely not you know medication has its place yeah. do you know what I mean I'm not a doctor that's not for me to kind of say what people should and shouldn't do I mean you know I've been you know often on antidepressants I mean it's really ironic thing you know you're standing up all night doing drugs and then you're kind of going thoughts going I feel a bit depressed I uh, I think I need antidepressants and then wondering why this stuff isn't working when you're you know because you I think when you if you're doing them you have to kind of look at other areas and yeah. like say your diet your exercise you know what I mean all, all that kind of stuff and it's because it's, it's difficult I suppose when you have mental health issues you you become I don't like the word lazy but you become kind of lazy lethargic yeah. everything becomes a massive chore so you know if you're feeling depressed the idea of going out exercising is like it's like climbing Everest yeah but you do know that if you do that stuff off over a couple of weeks you might you might give yourself a tiny bit of breathing space from how you you feel how you think do you know what I mean and that might just be enough to get you through the day yeah. You know, if it, 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 you know, and if all of these things give me five minutes of peace, then it's worth it. Do, do you know what I mean? I kind of take that, and I think you know, the longer you do it, the five minutes becomes ten minutes, the ten minutes becomes an hour. Then occasionally, you know, you're only, you know, you're not feeling great. I don't know, once a month, but you know what I mean? It becomes, yeah. it becomes more and more. The gaps between how you, you know, how bad you feel, become bigger. Yeah, well, I think I think it's about you know I think it's a combination. There's there's three different things. You know, there's there's it was it's the medication, obviously. There's the the therapy that you can have, but also I think mm. it's also important is the 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 support network you've got around you, the community and your peers. And I think that's a really really important thing to combine all three of those, and sometimes one or two of them, and and you work around those. Yeah, not everything fixed. And the thing is, find your own way, isn't it? I think like you've been saying, find your own way. What works for you doesn't necessarily work for anyone else, but. It's really important to do that. And absolutely, 
We're being, we've been unique. I think with this uh, this mullet that looks a bit like <laughs> Seth Fabregas when he started playing when he was 16 for Arsenal. That's I'll take look. that. You've gone for that. I've gone for that. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? I'll get a mirror and I'll show you the back. All right. Here you go. What do you reckon of that mullet? The length around the back there. Look at that. Perfect. Love it. Perfect. I love the little curls at the bottom. They <laughs> beautifully. Right. I'm going to take you over to Rick at reception. He's going to take care of the bill for me. If that's all right. Nice one. Him for next time as well. See you soon, Tom. See you soon, mate. It's been a pleasure, as always. Bill's looking a little bit much because it's been a bit of a reconstruction job as well. Fair bit of product gone into this one, so I think you're looking at upwards of 200 quid on this one. 200 quid? Oh, yeah, at least, yes. And then there's the coffee as well. Crikey. <laughs> you're lucky you didn't have the biscuits because we got hobnobs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for visiting my virtual barbershop today and I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you enjoy your haircut too. If you or anyone you know is struggling with their mental health, please take a look at the fabulous hubofhope.co.uk for all the resources in your area. I'm already looking forward to your next visit, but in between cuts, I would appreciate it if you could help Barber Talk Podcast out massively and give this podcast a review and five stars on iTunes to help the podcast get more visibility. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow so you are the first to hear the conversations from the barber chair. Oh yeah, and don't forget to book him with Rick for your next appointment. Miss you already. See you in the chair soon.